0: Well, Well, Welcome to all of you in the sanctuary and through the broadcast today. As we begin today, it's great to see what God has been doing through the team in Haiti. And our series is called Love Like Crazy. And I think this video is a good way to start because people might think it's crazy to fly all the way to Haiti to build latrines. But that's the kind of crazy love that Jesus has for us. That he jumped into this life with us. And living in that kind of love and living out that kind of surprising love is what we're talking about today. So here's the context. In Luke 10, a lawyer, an expert on the Jewish law, is questioning Jesus. And the common theology of the day was that eternal life could be achieved by keeping the law. And this guy knew the law, and it was massive. So this man asks Jesus, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turns the question back on him, What's written in the law? And the man answered with Scripture. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus answers, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And the lawyer is not happy. Now at first you think he might be because this popular rabbi just told this whole crowd that he was right. That's good. But the thing is he didn't really want to be right about that because he knew what you and I already know. We can't do that. We don't do that, even when we're trying to do that. In fact, the more that we really try to love God with all that we are and to love our neighbor with the kind of care that we have for ourselves, we see that we're not actually doing that. The truth is, none of us loves God with all of our heart or our neighbors as we have loved ourselves, except in certain moments of divine inspiration. We have our moments, but then comes the rest of our lives, right? And the truth is we don't want this lawyer to be right either because if what we need to do to inherit eternal life is live a life of flawless love for God and neighbor, we're sunk and we know it. But this lawyer didn't know it yet. He didn't know what you know, that it's only by God's mercy that we can have eternal life, that it's only by Jesus' righteousness interfering on our behalf that that standard could ever be met. But this man wasn't ready yet to need God's mercy. He wanted to present himself righteous. So facing this trap of sin, instead he looks for a loophole. He asked Jesus, Well, who is my neighbor exactly? I mean, who are these people that I have to love like I love myself? Maybe I can salvage this thing after all. But Jesus doesn't answer with a checklist of who you need to love and who you don't to qualify for eternal life. Instead, Jesus tells a story, a very surprising story. In Jesus' parable, this man, who the audience would assume to be Jewish, was attacked on the road and beaten unconscious and stripped of his clothes. So setting the stage for this, this man is unconscious. He is completely out. He will not realize if someone helps him or not. And there's nobody else around. And without clothes, you can't tell, is he rich? Is he poor? What is his situation in life? And since he's unconscious, he's not going to give away his accent either. So there is no way to know. Is he Jewish? Is he Samaritan? Is he from some other tribe? All you can know is that he's a man who's helpless and bleeding. And into this situation rides this priest and then a Levite, who both work in God's temple. So if there's anyone who should be able to figure out how to obey the law correctly, to love God and neighbor, it should be them, right? They're professional law abiders. But both the priest and the Levite pass by without helping and they leave the man to die. Why? Oh, here's the thing, Jesus knows that the priest and the Levite and you and me, we wanna do right, we wanna honor God, we don't wanna do wrong, Psalm 119 is all about that. It's a love song to God that's one giant thank you to God for the law. It's full of phrases like, I trust in your word. I delight in your commands. Because the law shows that God cares what happens to us. That he cares what kind of people we become. That the law is a gift. As any parent knows, you have rules because you care about your kids. You care about how they turn out. So why do these two, this priest and this Levite, who love God's law, who wanna honor God and love neighbor, not help this man? Well, let's take a look at the priest situation. The temple priests at that time had certain times that they were on duty to be at the temple. It was a rotation of weeks. And so this priest has either just completed his rotation of weeks and is going home, or he's just on his way to start his rotation of weeks for service. But the problem is if this priest got down off of his horse and reached over to touch this man to find out if he was alive or dead and found out that he was dead, then the priest would be ceremonially unclean and he would have to go to the temple for a week-long purification process. And that meant if he was going to the temple, he wouldn't be able to serve for a full week and some other priest would have to stay a week longer and cover his shift which would not make him popular. Or if he's on his way home, then he has to return to the temple for a week of purification, delaying his return home, leaving his family to wonder where he is with the paycheck, right? And on top of that, the temple priests were counseled to avoid contact with the dead at all possible. So maybe that priest convinced himself, I think that man's already dead. I can't help him now. Someone else will take care of it. Or maybe it was a different concern altogether. Because Sirach, a theologian of the time, wrote that one should only do good deeds for a good person because you don't want to strengthen a bad person to keep doing bad. But other rabbis taught that you must save a neighbor who has been attacked by robbers if you see that you can help. But without any identification for this man, how could he know? Was this man a neighbor or not? How could he know if he was doing the right thing? He didn't. So instead, he just wrote on. Has your desire to do the right thing ever kept you from doing anything for the fear of doing the wrong thing? What really honors God? Can you feel the tension in that story? The Levite also has a similar struggle and he also chose to walk away. The lawyer had asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the answer was, love God and love neighbor, obey the law. But do even this priest and Levite, the professional law keepers, completely keep the law as God intends? Jesus' parable shows us there's something about life that throws such messy situations at us that even if what we want is to perfectly keep the law, we won't always know how or even if we're actually doing it. And that must have been kind of disturbing for the listeners, wondering if this priest and this Levite made the right decision or not. But they probably weren't too worried because this is a story after all. And of course, the third character always brings the resolution, right? And they even knew who this third character would be. It would be a Jewish layperson because you have priest, Levite, layperson. That's the natural sequence of events of people who are seeking to honor the law. And this was a question about perfectly honoring the law to love God and neighbor to the point of earning eternal life, right? So they lean in to hear what Jesus is gonna say about how the regular Jewish layperson would fulfill the law. But instead, the next person down the road is a Samaritan. What? They hated Samaritans. Samaritans didn't even try to pretend to honor the law. In fact, they were worse than that. Samaritans believed the only place God should be worshipped was Mount Gerizim, not the temple. They believed it so passionately that a few years before this, some Samaritans had broken into the temple during Passover, the holiest time of the year, and intentionally defiled it by scattering human bones all over the temple court. I can't even describe to you how insulting that sabotage of the holiness of worship was to the, the people, or how angry that it made them. And that reaction wasn't just an isolated event. If you have your Quest Bible with you, you can turn to Luke 10, that's where the Good Samaritan story is, and you can see it starts on page 1521, the bottom of the page here, Parable of the Good Samaritan. If you look on the, page before, 1520, there's a little paragraph that says Samaritan opposition. Right before this story, Jesus himself had a run-in with the Samaritans. He and his disciples had been traveling on the road, they were tired, and they sent word ahead to the next village, the Samaritan village, that they were coming so people could prepare for them. And when they got there, they were refused hospitality, which was a major insult in that culture and that time. And James and John, who Jesus sometimes affectionately called the sons of thunder, were so out of their mind angry that they asked Jesus, can we just call down fire from heaven and incinerate that whole town, all the Samaritans, just get rid of them. But in verse 55 says, but Jesus turned and rebuked them and he and his disciples went on to another village. So no one was incinerated in that story. Instead, Jesus told them all to walk on hungry and tired and insulted and find hospitality elsewhere. And then, 30 verses later, when Jesus is asked by this Jewish expert of the law how to perfectly fulfill the command to love God and neighbor, Jesus makes the hero of his parable a Samaritan. Why? It's obviously not because Jesus and the Samaritan were buds. It wasn't because he thought they were right about the temple either. In fact, in John 4, when he was talking to a Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus tells her that God is bringing through him a time when true worship won't be at Mount Gerizim or at the temple. Instead, making the Samaritan the hero of this story, Jesus is sending a shocking message that what matters to God is not, can't be, a matter of check boxes. It's a matter of heart. Jesus is showing something here about the heart of God, that God is bringing a saving love that is so much bigger than our ability to get things right. A saving love that shocks and surprises us out of our categories. In Jesus' parable, this Samaritan bandages the man's wounds to put him on his own donkey, brings him to an inn, and pays for his recovery. And Jesus then asked the lawyer, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, I'm sure very grudgingly, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Again, not what the lawyer wanted to hear, If he thought the law was hard to follow perfectly before, now he's supposed to take pointers from a fictional Samaritan? If he was hoping to hear that he could earn heaven loving God by loving those who already loved him the best, well, now that whole theory is shot. Instead, like the good Samaritan, go and do likewise, Jesus said. Can't imagine he left happy. But I think that's just the point. See, I think people often think that Jesus told this parable to clarify that godly love is selfless. And I think that is a message from this parable. I think Jesus is pleased when we love like that. And we find joy when we love like that. But I don't think that's the main reason that Jesus told this story. And the reason I think that is we've seen Jesus do that kind of thing before. The truth is, if you let this parable work on your heart, it will drive you to your knees, And I think that's what it's meant to do, to drive us to seek the kind of salvation we really need. Think about this lawyer. I wonder how long that he thought about Jesus' words. Because we all have to process them somehow to live them out. He couldn't have walked home without running into several beggars who, if he was going to go and do likewise, Samaritan style, would cost him everything until he was just as destitute as they were. So in that way, this story is a lot like the story of the rich young ruler in Mark, a man who also asks Jesus, how do I accomplish salvation? And Jesus tells him, well, go, sell everything, give it all away, then come and follow me. That's only the beginning. In the same way, this man went away sad, knowing of all the things he could accomplish in his life, he could not, did not have the strength to accomplish this. He could not overcome his own selfish sinfulness. He was forced to face the truth, the ugly truth of his own sinful, selfish self, and he was forced to recognize that he could not redeem himself, probably for the first time in his life. And maybe at that moment, he came to see the truth that he was and we are just as helpless, as defenseless, as vulnerable as that man beaten, stripped, and bleeding on the side of the road. That man couldn't bind his own wounds. He couldn't save his own life. He couldn't pay the debt for his own healing. And the priest with his regulations and the Levite with his temple practice could not redeem him either. They couldn't fulfill the law any more than he could. Salvation that we need will take someone completely outside what we expect one who has no self-interest, nothing to gain from carrying our burdens, but only selfless love. When the Samaritan in Jesus' parable got off his donkey to kneel down and help, he would become vulnerable himself. Because what bandits are going to hesitate to attack a man that everybody hates? The prophecy of the Messiah in Isaiah 53 says, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. And in compassion, the Samaritan binds up the wounds. God says in Jeremiah 30, I will restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal. And Jesus' mission statement in Isaiah 61, his mission statement, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. And when the wounded man is safely at the inn, this Samaritan offers to pay what the priest and Levite didn't and even to compensate for what the robbers had taken from him. He offers to pay himself for this man's healing and restoration. Because just like today, hotels are not charities. You don't pay, you don't stay. And this man had been robbed of everything he owned. He had nothing. And if he would have woken up in this hotel with no money... He would have gone from being robbed and wounded to robbed, wounded, arrested, and in debtor's prison, racking up more debt every day he was there. If the Samaritan hadn't promised to pay the bill, this man may never have healed and may never have been able to live life free again beyond the day of that attack. The Samaritan paid so he could be healed, and so once he was healed, he could be free to live again. Remember that. It's very important. Salvation comes to the wounded man not because of who he is. We never find out his identity. Salvation comes to the wounded man not because of what he can give. He's been robbed of anything he could possibly contribute. Salvation comes to this wounded man not because of what he's done. The Samaritan has only seen him unconscious. Salvation comes to him only by a costly act of compassionate love Freely given. And that is exactly how salvation comes to us. See, the truth is the lawyer's question, What must I do to inherit eternal life, is a pointless question. Because what can anyone do to inherit anything? Someone has to die for someone else to inherit. And if something is inherited, it's not earned, it's a gift from the one who has chosen to bequeath it. It can only be received. And the truth is, it's only through God's surprising love for us that any of us can be friends of God, that any of us can become neighbors. Romans 5 says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus saw our hopeless situation of a salvation we could never earn and he took on his own shoulders our death and he bound up our wounds and with his own life he paid for our redemption and he paid the price not only so we might be forgiven but so we might live free. Free forever from the pressure of ever thinking that our lives need to earn what we can never earn. When we see ourselves in this parable as the priest or the Levite, then we're convicted of our own legalistic failings. And when we see ourselves in this parable as the good Samaritan, then we're convicted of our failure to live with that kind of selflessness in every moment. But it's only when this parable brings us to our knees and shows us that we can't do what this lawyer is trying to do, to earn salvation by our ability to be righteous, when it shows us that we are the wounded, the broken ones in need of saving help, then Jesus becomes our good Samaritan, despised and rejected and acquainted with grief for us. And then we can hear the words of Jesus in a very different way. Go and do likewise. Go and love like that. Not because you can earn your salvation by perfection. Not possible. Go and do likewise in your own imperfect way because your debt has been paid by the only one who can and you've been set free now to live in that love, to show the world a glimpse of the one who loves like that so they might might know him too. And if you still think that Jesus meant to say that we earn salvation by serving, you can take a look at the story right underneath this parable in your Bible. It's the story of Mary and Martha comes right after this, where Jesus tells Martha, who's serving, that Mary has chosen the better thing and simply choosing to be with Jesus, choosing to believe that she is the beloved as she learns from his feet. Because the truth is we can only serve with joy, we can only pour out love when we first have understood how much we have been loved by God. And that doesn't come from us, it comes from him. But that's what we're we're gonna talk about next week. So for now, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your beautiful parable, but it brings us to our knees. Lord, we confess to you that we know that we can't earn eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us today of the real good news that you came to bring, that your salvation is a gift and only you can give it. And we receive that gift with gratitude and thanks and praise Lord, thank you for paying the price for our healing and our restoration, for setting us free instead to live in the joy of your love and to pass it on the best that we can. It's your love that changes hearts, Lord. Your love is the only thing that does. Thank you for that reminder today. Please work your love in us, Lord, that your love would be reflected in us so the world may know you too. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.